Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. to have personal responsibility, political accountability, and corporate culpability. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. We must eliminate poverty. I don't care what color the person or child Toya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Elisa Ward. Welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Elisa. Thank you, Queen, for being back with us. We also have a special returning guest on the line with us, Dr. Sanjata. But Elisa, if you will, Queen, say, Hello to all the truth seekers out there. Say hello to Dr. Sanjata and um, give people a little bit of your background. Again, it's been a while since we had you co-host with me, but thanks for getting in the saddle with me, as I always say. So thanks a lot, Queen, for being with us. Thanks so much for having me on. I always love coming on the show and talking to your listeners. I am a trauma-informed executive emotional intelligence coach. Um, I'm also an emotional intelligence uh, assessor, and I have a lot of experience in um, dealing with complex things as we uh, deal with our emotions um, and how we connect and communicate with other people as well as how we resolve um, conflict. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what, you know, what's being said on the show today, and I want to learn as much as I give to anybody. Nah, thanks a lot, Queen, for being back with us. Dr. Sanjata, if you will, again, you might as well be on the show with me as much as I ask you to come on. you got so many different levels of expertise, <laughs> but again, uh, if you will, just say hello to two seekers out there. Say hello to Lisa, my, my co-host, and uh, give people your background, especially in relation to today's uh, discussion question, if yes. you will. But thanks a lot for being with us. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Lisa. How are you this morning? Wonderful, wonderful, yes. and you are too. Yes, I am. I am. It's a pleasure to be on with you and share space with you this morning. Um, so, yes, as Montoya mentioned, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I have a, a diverse background. But in reference to this uh, this show, I, in addition to being a serial entrepreneur, I am an anti-oppression activist, and I'm also an authentic dialogue facilitator. 
So, um, you know, in reference to uh, this show, obviously the authentic dialogue piece, um, you know, is what I'm what I'm bringing to the table. And basically, authentic dialogue is just a communications framework. Um, you know, it's a way for people to leverage conflict to strengthen relationships. And uh, it's a beautiful framework, and I enjoy facilitating for individuals, couples, uh, families, groups, and organizations. I've done so for about the last six years now. And every time I get an opportunity to share this skill set with people, it's, it's extremely rewarding. So I'm happy to have an opportunity to come on and talk about it this morning. Well, glad to have you on. This morning's discussion question, conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? Let me say it again, conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? If you are a first-time listener out there to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, again, my radio handle is Black Socrates, so we like to handle all different topics in the form of, the, I call it Socratic, well, I shouldn't call it, it's known as Socratic method where you ask a, a bunch of questions to try to get to the right answers. So we form our show titles in the form of a question. And so turning back to you, Elisa, if you will, uh, conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? I always like to start off the show with just a simple, when you heard the question worded in that manner, can you give me your initial thought, not the drawn out thoughts that came along with it, but just when you heard the question, I said, hey, I want you to come on this show. Uh, here's how we're wording the question, because you can word questions all kind of ways. But when you hear that particular question, I'll say it again. Conflict resolution in the black family. What should we do? Can you recall the first thing that came to mind when I said, hey, can you help me with this show? The first thing I thought about was this was really great because it was going to give an opportunity for us to discuss something that's so normal but sometimes so taboo and so stigmatized. Conflict itself is not a bad thing because conflict is a learning opportunity for everybody. And we all have conflict. And in our families, because of the way that our cultural dynamics are, it is quite possible that each one of us in our particular culture have a different way of managing that conflict. And we need to have conversations in a way that are not just textbook, but we need to have the conversations in a way that they indicate the dynamics of what we experience, what we have experienced, and the way that we project ourselves in the world in the black community. I love it. I'll turn that same question over to you, Dr. Sanjata. First thoughts when you heard the question worded in this particular manner. Again, we can question, ask the question various ways, but in this particular situation, uh, what first thing came to your mind? Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, basically similar to what Lisa just said. Um, uh, I was I was happy to to, to come on and um, just share because, you know, I know that in our society we live in a debate based culture, and you know, we have debates and we have debate clubs in schools. Uh, we see people debate on the national stage for the highest offices in our political process. Uh, and debate is divisive. You know, debate is about winning. And unfortunately, when we take that type of uh, that, that that framework into our personal relationships, uh, unfortunately, it, it drives us apart and it causes so much tension. And it's, for me, based on the things I've learned, it's unnecessary tension because, as Lisa said, conflict is inevitable. You know, we're gonna signals are gonna get crossed. Um, so, you know, just, just leveling up our skill sets, um, you know, it was just something that I was just more so when I saw the question, just excited to come on and share about, because I know that it's something that every time I get a chance to share with people there is something they're craving is something they're, they're wanting 
So um, I just was excited that you created this platform for us to, you know, talk about it and expose more people to it, to, to solutions. No, I love it. Love it. And I go, and, you know, we're going to get the audience involved. We've got a couple callers out there. Um, I'll go ahead and even get the number out because this conversation in all reality is, can be very broad. Um, as Dr. Sanjata just laid out, we absolutely are aware that we, as he said, we are in a debate society. I think that has ramped up, and over my over the course of my lifetime, uh, I can remember, you know, having the opportunity to be a part of debate clubs and things of that nature. But it was almost in that situation, it was kind of like you went over there to learn the skill set of debating. But I don't recall my daily life feeling like a debate. But obviously, with the advent of social media and being able to talk to people every day uh, that you may or may not know, obviously we couldn't do that years ago. Pre, you know prior to the internet, if you will. And so now it's become a part of our daily lives. So this is absolutely uh, a necessary conversation. I, I think we all can agree to that. Uh, in reference to the African-American community, uh, there's always, in a sense, been this, if you will, this question of, in a sense, how do we handle conflict? And uh, I'll say this, at this point, where we're at in America, I think this, is, again, is a skill set we all need to learn. Uh, but if, in a sense, if we're going to focus on our community, there's always been, I think, this idea that resolution is something that culturally we sometimes seem to tend to struggle with in certain areas, and now it is absolutely, in my opinion, bled into relationships specifically to the family about how families get along or don't get along. This is something that's always existed, but again, it seems ramped up in today's culture, and then when we ultimately try to figure it out. I think ultimately what we end up doing is going through life, never really trying to figure it out. So that's kind of why we, you know, we should have this discussion or I'm glad to have both of you on as experts kind of in this area to maybe give people as Dr. Sanjata said, some solutions in this area. But I think it's something that is definitely plagued, as I said, America, um, but in particular um, to our community. So those are, in a sense, my initial thoughts. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get hot and heavy. I'll give out the phone number to get people on the phone call. If y'all want to add to it, please share this. If you're listening, share out the link, share out the phone number. Uh, we definitely want to get as many people on this discussion as possible because, again, it can be very broad when it comes to conflict resolution. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. This morning's discussion question, conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Big Sis Media Group is a full-service design agency with tools available to help clients communicate with audiences through visual and digital media. So what exactly does that mean? You need graphic design? Call Big Sis Media. You need web design? Call Big Sis Media. You need audio or video production? Call Big Sis Media. You need a branded strategy for your business? Call Big Sis Media. 
Damn, they do everything, don't they? Nope, even better. They're professionals. Whatever service you need, they do a consultation, send over a contract with a deadline, and meet that deadline. A true one-stop shop for all your digital and media needs, all at an affordable price. What's their website and phone number? BigSisMediaGroup.com 404-465-4348 Again, that's BigSisMediaGroup.com Call them at 404-465-4348 Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, Alisa Ward. Conflict resolution in the black family, what you do? Our special guest is Dr. Shijada. Alisa, we're going to start back with you, Queen. Um, I just made a quick reference. Again, conflict resolution is something that our entire country necessarily could use right now. Um, but in reference to maybe things particular to our culture, the black culture, if you will, or African-Americans, uh, whatever you choose to use there, uh, uh, any anything in particular in your mind, that, uh, uh, in particular to our community, why, I would say, in a sense, why we absolutely need this and, and could have used this, in my opinion, a long time ago. And again, it's not to make us worse than others, but just something that comes up time to time that there's issues with how we handle conflict, even outside of the family, amongst each other, but unfortunately it bleeds into families quite often as well. Any thoughts in reference to our culture in particular. The thing is, historically, you know, as as a culture, I mean, let's just think about where we've been in America in general. And in some ways, it feels like no matter what happens, like, damn, can we just win? Can we just get a win? Can we really just, like, get somewhere and get ahead without somebody pulling us two steps back or thinking that we're only good for this or good for that. And when we have that mindset that's on us on a regular basis, then it impacts the way that we think and the way that we cope and the way that we interact with other people. So with that in mind, when it comes to conflict, that was already, you know, said is that, you know, it comes down to people want to be able to win. And when you're actually thinking about the way that we manage conflict and, and the way that it's been managed even worldwide, there is usually a winner and there is a loser. Um, any conflict in the world, wars in the world, whatever, there's a winner and there's a loser. But when you're dealing with people, it's about us winning together. And we're really undoing hundreds of years of psychological training and a cultural dynamic that has been around the world from the win-lose perspective because the win is really about when we win it together. And we talk about it all the time as a culture, oh, we need to do this, oh, we need to do that. The next thing you know, we're fighting with each other, and then cancel culture is rapid, you know, it's rampant, it's all around the world, and it's like, okay, we say this, but then we do this, and we have to understand it's an unraveling of a thought process that has been ingrained in cultures all over the world, not just us. And until we understand that component of it, then it's difficult for us to understand that we've got to manage it differently. No, it makes sense. Um, Dr. Sanjata, your your thoughts in reference to maybe what some of what Alisa had to say or just in general um, how it seems to be looked at when it comes to conflict resolution and how it's seen within our community. Again, we can definitely get outside of the family dynamic, but it, again, unfortunately, comes back to hurt quite often the family dynamic as well. Go ahead, King. Go ahead, King. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what, she, what she stated, um, again, I just – 
agree with uh, with everything and uh, the points that one of the things that sticks out to me is it's, it's a lot of things as you know like all these conversations intersect and um, you know I think about post-traumatic slave syndrome <clears throat> I think about this idea that um, you know and, and the way I perceive it is that like a lot of uh, African-American people perceive there to be certain issues amongst African-American people that are unique to African-American people um, whereas I believe that it's more, and just based on my experiences, it's more uh, of our cultures. It's literally uh, we've adopted, we've been indoctrinated, um, you know, with these uh, these processes and these ways of resolving conflict in very toxic ways because of colonization uh, and because of the power over and control dynamics. And like, uh, you know, Lisa said, with the winning, the desire to win and, you know, dominate and, and again, have power and control over the people that, you know, we're in relationship with across various dynamics in the family as well as, um, you know, in community, et cetera. There's these hierarchies of power structure, and, you know, we've been trained that, you know, the person that has the most power gets the final say or should win or the person that's more, um, let's say, more outgoing or a lot of times it'll be a person who's more extroverted and a quick thinker and someone, you know, when they're in a, in, in a conflict with someone that's more uh, reflective or who may be more introverted, um, you know, that person may need more time to think and reflect in order to get their thoughts out and to, to be understood and heard, but the date doesn't leave room for that. So a lot of times people are silently oppressed within, you know, their households or within their friendships or within, you know, whatever relationship dynamic they're in just because, uh, you know, the date says win and certain people are equipped to win just because of maybe their personality or, again, you know, uh, if it's rooted in religion, it could be, you know, the, the head of the household conversation with men. You know, so so many things, you know, so many ways that it intersects with other systems um, and the ways that we communicate. So um, it's a lot to unpack, and, you know, that's why we're doing the work. I feel like we live in a generation, yeah. I mean, we live during an era of learning and unpacking and healing of all those things. Now, I hope we do a lot of that today. Um, let's open this up for anybody out there. I see some people on the phone line. If you're wanting to get in on this morning's discussion, you do have to press 1 if you're already on the phone line. If you're listening online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that number is 646-87-1691. You will have to press 1 to let us know that you want to speak um, on this morning's discussion question. So for me, the the key word that resonates foundationally out of this discussion, in particular to our culture, is this concept of our community, in a sense, being more emotional, more emotional, if you will. And so, again, while we can absolutely throw a blanket across the whole American culture, if you will, needing to understand conflict resolution, however, there is this concept that being extremely emotional can make it more difficult to get to resolution. And so, again, there's this concept or a thought that I would even tend to believe or have come to believe in a sense that to a certain extent, blacks, we can be a little more emotional. There are things that being emotional serve, in a sense, serve us in a good way. But when it comes to conflict, it can make things much more difficult from the standpoint of getting more angry uh, and, and so once you're more, you know, once you're angered more, then the the chance for resolution in a discussion it could be with your own family member, your your own blood, if you will, and it makes it more difficult. And we've seen even families 
divide where there's fathers and sons not talking, mothers and sons not talking, sisters not talking. And I think it's at least that's what quite often comes to mind when you say to people, we need to work on our conflict resolution. It's this idea of us being more emotional. Um, Elisa, I'll let you um, give me some thoughts on that as well as Dr. Sanjata, and we'll go to a caller after that. Okay. Um, Yeah, you know, if you think about, like, um, the things that we create, the things that we've invented, we're a really, really creative um, culture of people all across the diaspora. And it's amazing the things that we can do, the things that we can come up with. Well, creatives by nature are very passionate. And passion comes from our ability to really take those emotions and tap into them and hone them in a certain way. So since we are such a collectively creative culture of people, then it only stands to reason that from the perspective of emotions that we do have a lot more energy power from our emotions. But because of the racial trauma that we've actually experienced, it can be difficult sometimes for us to direct that into the space in which it needs to go. And it's really just a matter of us just learning some new ways of dealing with things. You know, these are conversations that if you think about it, really, we, a lot of us, I mean, I, mean, I know for me, I was raised on survival, on being, being, you know, learning how to survive, not learning how to thrive. And there was nothing wrong with that because of what my parents had to do. But now that we're, we're at a time where we have an opportunity to learn what thriving really means, then we also have an opportunity to begin to understand ourselves, our own interpersonal conflict, and in our intrapersonal conflict with other people and learn our own conflict styles that we have individually and that we've adapted from our own families of origin. But it all starts with that concept of emotion and even being able to identify specifically what emotion we feel at that time. Because we use the word anger and we encompass so many things with that one word because there are other feelings and thoughts that go with that one word. And as we begin to to continue to evolve and thrive more, then, then we can do more and be more and use our power more. And our power, in a lot of cases, comes from our ability to be able to grab those emotions and push forward. Look what we do with protests. Look what we do when there's a serious, significant injustice. Our emotions get on fire, and we make it happen. We can do that, but we've got to learn to hold it in and direct it where it needs to go to, to the targets where we can make changes that are significant, sustainable, and helpful. Now, I love it. I think you pointed out something great. Like you said, the good the use of that emotion, and it only comes to reason that it comes out even when we're, in a sense, having conflict. And I know sometimes we even highlight other people may see us going back and forth and be like, wow, they must hate each other. And in reality, we've gotten either so used to it or we understand that passion that we don't even take offense to one another to where, although it seems as a passionate argument to others, it's really two people who love each other and, and, and understand that, that type of passion. And it isn't as, as intense as some might think outside the culture. Um, your thoughts on the emotion aspect in particular, as it looks, as, as we talk about it in our community, uh, Dr. Sujata. So when you phrase, the way you phrased that question, um, and initially the, the way you framed it, you're like, you know, saying that we're quote unquote more people of African descent are, are quote unquote more emotional. And my question is like, where does, where does the comparison come from? Like, I want, I'm curious as to how many people um, actually have insight into the households of, of people who aren't of African descent. Um, and, and the reason I say it like that is because, like, I always push back against and reject, and you know, this idea of this comparison. 
um, this like looking out and compa- always comparing our experience to people of other you know cultures. It's, it's a totally our our experience is totally unique um, in terms of people of African descent who are descendants of enslaved Africans. So um, I, I push back against the whole idea of you know when people compare like us to other groups instead of just focusing on like the healing that's necessary and accepting and having compassion and having grace for our journey in terms of our, when I say our, our ancestral lineage uh, through the enslavement of, you know, our ancestors, just having grace for that journey and stop like looking outside of it and saying and comparing it. uh, That's one thing I I generally push back against. And also just the idea of, again, like how many people that say those things, like whenever I hear people comparing that way, I cringe because I'm like, well, do you really know what's going on in other people's households? Like, have you really been intimate with, uh, you know, the family structures and the family dynamics of people of other, um, you know, races uh, and ethnicities? Um, and the reason I say that is because, and then for someone like myself who has, um, I have been in those households. I have had intimate relationships and close friendships and, and been in those family dynamics and been able to peek in. And when I peek in, what I can share is that, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not that much different from people like Elisa said in terms of people who've grown up with that survival or who live day-to-day in a survival, um, you know, context. There, it, there tends to be a lot more, uh, you know, trauma-based responses to, to, to tension in our lives and to conflict. And that's for people in, in, who are generally in that survival mode of people in that working class or that impoverished state. And people of African descent, the majority of us, again, who descend from enslavement, you know, we are generationally, you know, we come, we're, we're in closer proximity to poverty because of, you know, the, 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 the unfolding of, you know, slavery and Jim Crow and all those things. So more of us have been coming out of poverty more recently than a lot of other people in this country, you know, us being on that, 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 those various uh, timelines. So it's just like those little nuances and those contexts for me are what show up uh, when, when I have conversations around race and understanding the different things we're dealing with. So um, I'll close it out by saying that for me it's just moving with grace, uh, and understanding that, um, like Elisa said, because of, you know, uh, most of us grew up in that survival context um, and coming out of poverty, you know, and, and that's, that's why we respond the way we respond. And at the same time, I'm here to hold space for the healing. I'm here to be a part of that healing. And that's what I care about, not so much judging, you know, folks on, on their responses to, to conflict and tension. No, I love it. I mean, that's a very key point. If I could just hold on to one thing and we're going to go to a caller um, very key point when you mentioned that concept of timeline. And again, it's just wanting to hone in on it. And so, you know, what I hear you saying, and, you know, and others probably heard it as well, but I just want to, like say, reiterate this. So what I hear you saying is, uh, to a certain extent, like you said, based on the timeline of when various groups may have come out of situations, and again, if, if a group generally went through something, is obviously that, you know, our community, uh, you know, our culture, unfortunately, definitely went through the enslavement trade, if you will, and so basically what you're saying is, you know, a lot of times it's just simply the circumstances, no matter what group was put in that circumstance, if, if, you, if you just so happen to view the group out of, at that certain time, you might say, oh, that group seems to be this, and it's really just a reality of what their experience is. But if, you were to, if you're outside that group looking in, if your group was in the exact same circumstances, you would see the same results. So you're applying a generalization based on their 
lived experience at the time to an entire group, and it's really just their human experience based on the circumstances um, is what I hear you saying, and that's definitely something that is often forgotten when we are applying judgments to, you know, uh, this group or that group quite often. So that's an excellent point. Let's go to the call. Area code 504, last 3065. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Yeah, my name is Eric, and God bless everybody there. How you doing today? Hey, thanks for calling. What you got for us, Eric? Yes. Um, I know individually... I know when I uh, when someone agrees with me, it feels much better than when someone dis- does not agree with me. Then doesn't feel as good for whatever reason. But when I look at it from a perspective, well, whatever they're telling me, it may help me to be better at what I'm doing or better at what I'm saying. Then it it goes down a little easier. So uh, why is it that we for me anyway, it feels better when someone agrees with me as opposed to someone does not agree with me, and that can go a ways in terms of dealing with this conflict resolution also. I think it's a great question. At least I'm going to let you tackle it first, if you will. we got about a minute before um, our first break, but what, I'll, you know, what I will do is we'll continue and keep them on after the break. But go ahead and start tackling that question, if you will, Queen. Again, but we should keep it about a minute, and then we'll go to keep, continue it after the break. Okay. Um, so as humans, we, we, you know, I don't, you know, going back to like psychology and, you know, 101 and all that kind of stuff like that, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy and needs is one that I follow a lot. Um, and I don't follow it to the T, but there is some, some real credit in that, in that as humans, we, one of our basic needs in life is about belonging. And that, that goes across any race, any culture, is that we want to feel like we're connected and, and, and belong to something, to someone. So when we feel like we are, um, somebody agrees with what we say, then at that point it hones into that connectedness that we actually feel that is an underlying process that happens cognitively in our brain. So then it actually hits the reward center of the brain, and that dopamine kind of goes up. And now that this person agrees with what I'm saying, then my hormones, I feel better. Um, and and that's, a, that's a, a neurological process that actually happens in us. But, um, I mean, that, that's Matter of fact, let's do the point after the break. Yeah, yeah, let's, do the, let's, right. let's continue. I'm going to keep Eric on. We're going to run to this quick break because right. this is an excellent question in reference to this. Um, Eric, just if you will, bear with us. We're going to um, bring you right back on out of the break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. Here's a new cut by Taylor Pace and Square Business Entertainment. Eyes on you, one of our sponsors, at keeping that R&B live for the R&B lovers out there. We'll be right back.
fine note, Taylor's Paces eyes on you on all music streaming platforms. Again, I do appreciate Square Business Entertainment being one of our sponsors, but I also love the music. Definitely love the music. Don't see too much love music in today's time, so definitely suggest that y'all find them on your social, on your social media and on YouTube music and all the places you can find music. This morning's discussion question, conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? Uh, we got a caller on the line, Eric, along with special guest co-host Elisa Ward, a special guest Dr. Sujata. Uh, Elisa, I think you were kind of finishing up your answer to um, Eric's question. I'm going to bring him back live. Um, if you're done, I'll go, you can go ahead and let um, Dr. Sujata tackle it, but I want to make sure you are finishing up your thoughts. I just wanted to add one, one other part, because the part that I was talking about was more from the, the psychological and processing components. But then when you talk about from the day-to-day human perspective components, I mean, because of the way that we've been socialized in culture, who doesn't want to win? Who doesn't want to feel like what they said or what they did mattered? And mm-hmm. so naturally, just as people, it's going to actually make us feel good when somebody agrees with us because nobody wants to feel like they're that losing person. They don't want to feel like, you know, they're always at odds with somebody because a lot of times we feel like we're at odds with the world. So we'd like to be in agreement with people who matter to us. So then, you know, if you, if you put both of those pieces together, in my opinion, that, that's why feeling when somebody agrees with you, it's literally like mm-hmm. a release and it's that aha so th- those are my thoughts. I got you, Dr. Shijal. If we could, I'm going to try to take a slight angle because I know you can handle this. So it sounds like the, Eric saying, hey, you know, hey, why is this? Um, what role can that play in conflict resolution? And I, I've talked to you in dialogue with you before. And so, in my, you know, I'll throw this out. And I know you can handle this. But in my opinion, the way that you do authentic dialogue, you almost, you all, you all, you all almost have a way of creating that feeling even when there's quote-unquote disagreement. And I think that would, in my opinion, best answer Eric's question from what I know from some of our discussions. But I'll go obviously answer it the way that you would like. But I would like to bring that angle into it because, again, I hear Eric saying, well, okay, even when we disagree, uh, you know what I mean, it ain't mm-hmm. that easy to get to resolution. So if you could kind of speak to that, if you will. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I appreciate the uh, the points that Lisa made again about competition and our indoctrination and and the way we were raised in school. You know, we are we get penalized if we get things wrong, or you know, in competition is about losing, and so it's like we're we're so you know indoctrinated to winning, and and also to being right more so than, than anything else. Like we're f- afraid to be wrong, so a lot of times people will. Uh, argue a point, even though they know they're, they, a lot of people will, <clears throat> will hold their ground in conflict because being right is so valued in our society. Um, so I'll just say that. But the beautiful thing about authentic dialogue as a uh, communication framework is it's about creating win-wins. It's about shared inquiry and a way of thinking and reflecting together. And it's not about, you know, um, right or wrong. It's about when done correctly uh, it's about creating something uh, that both people can feel good about. So, um, and ultimately, you know, it's about creating win-wins. And there's a process to getting to the win-win, um, obviously, that, you know, um, I won't go into now. But what I can share, you know, based on what Eric said and based on the question you asked, Montoya, is that, yes, um, it, it's, you can get that, that, that feel-good winning feeling and, and um, you know, through the process of authentic dialogue, um, and, and it's beautiful when, when both parties or all parties involved, you know, can experience that together through a process of co-creating that together, and it, and it just really strengthens relationships when done 
you know, that way. Yeah, Eric, I hope as you continue to listen, we'll fully answer that question, if you will, because um, we definitely are headed down that path. And what I'll say to you, um, at the very least, again, this is for me having personal dialogues with uh, Dr. Sanjata, that at a minimum, you get better at trying to reach understandings versus the win, the right and wrong aspect. And so when you're hearing that person disagreeing, if, if, if hopefully some things you hear today will even help you deal with someone who you're disagreeing with, because if they know that you're trying to understand them, although you disagree, it, it takes them out of the win situation. Understood, feel, being understood quite often is just as good as being right, at least in my opinion. Again, these are things I've learned from Dr. Sanjata, but thank you for an excellent question this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. No, absolutely. Let's go to the next caller. Area code 678-3579. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. How you doing? This is Milk. What's up, Montoya? Hey, what's up, King? Glad to have you on. What you got for us this morning? Hey, man, honestly, what you just said, that that's the most important thing as far as understanding. Like, when you're going back and forth with somebody, it's just more so about understanding. It's not about being right. It's not about being wrong. It's not about having a, a loss. If you can walk away with understanding, you should be good. Whether, and the other thing is, when you start going into conflict resolution with your family, from my thought process, it got to be more so if you know more or you have more understanding than another person, you should you should be at a point where as though sometimes you have to understand you might have to eat shit because they might not understand certain things. You might have to take the low end of the, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, I mean, throughout this conversation, I keep hearing win. You might have to take the loss to gain the win of the relationship with conflict resolution because you might know more than them. So if I'm talking to one of my family members and I know their thought process and the way they was raised and the way they think and their actions is below the way I think, I don't care about that. Let's still have a let's still have a relationship. I, we don't have to go until your low level thought process or stay there because when we talk, the conversation is going to be about what I want to talk about, or sometimes we might talk about what you want to talk about also. But I'm gonna make sure I salvage the relationship because I understand certain things that you might understand not understand. That's how I see you on, see now, on certain levels. No, nah, that's strong. That's strong what you're talking about. There's a lot to peel back here. I'm gonna let Elisa or Doctor Sinjada kind of jump in. I, I I could do this. What you're just talking about right now, I could do this for the rest of the show because this is definitely <laughs> an aspect of what we're you know this idea of conflict resolution. But as as you hear, I call a milk. Bring this to the table. Yeah, please say it. Please say it. Go ahead. The, the last thing I want to say was, Eric, Eric, you, you know, I don't want you to be caught up in being right when you're having a conversation because when you're dealing with manipulative people, they will make you feel right even when you're wrong. And if you don't know when you're wrong, you can't know when you're right. So you got to be careful with that, that, that feeling of wanting to be right when you're having a conversation. Man, I'm talking to somebody. I want somebody to challenge my thought process. I want to see it from your point of view and my point of view so I can get both parties and figure out what's the right thing. But if I'm always going by what I think is right and my friends and my family, and they always saying, you're right, you're right, you're right, and I'm wrong. See, in my life, I have been wrong about women. I have been wrong about family members. I have been wrong about friends. I've been wrong about myself. So I need to be consistently challenged with my thought process to make sure that I cross T's, dot I's, to make sure that I'm going right with my physical, mental, and spirituality. That's how I see things. I'm not saying it's right for you, Eric. 
But I'm telling you, just try to take that if you can with you. That's all. Now, fair. Let me let me be let me be fair to Eric too. I don't. I think he just simply. And if I, the way I took it was, he just kind of simply asked a question in reference to when dialoguing. How does it play out once you're having a dialogue mm. where you're not necessarily okay, okay. agreeing? Um, I, yeah, I don't think okay. he was shooting to be right or wrong. He just asked an excellent question. Again, that's just how I interpret it. But no, nah, but everything you said was still worthy of people listening to. So thank you for the thoughts, Milk. But again, I want to let Dr. Sinjada or Lisa, whoever feels the need to jump in right now, please jump in. Yeah, I'd I, I love to jump in really quick. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you go ahead, Lisa. I'll, I'll wait. No, Dr. Sanjata, you good. You good, Dr. Sanjata, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to just, um, you know, piggyback on, on what the caller just said. Um, you know, he mentioned, like, the whole idea of sometimes you got to eat shit, um, you know, when you feel like you know more than the other person on, or you feel like you're right. Basically, it's like, you know what, I know I'm right, but in this situation, I'm going to just take it on the chin because I, I care about the relationship. Um, I would, I just would like to frame it a little bit differently because I, I get where you're, he's coming from. Um, but I, you know, within the way that I teach, basically, it's just shifting our, our mental uh, paradigm to, to wanting to learn. You know, it's literally when conflict arises, understand there's something beneath it, right? No one is, no one is trying to, you know, hurt anyone intentionally. Like even the people, um, and, and I know everyone may not agree with this, but it's, it's kind of like a core belief of mine. Like even the people that you know, come across toxic or whatever, there's some, there's some underlying, you know, traumas and, and experiences that, that bring about those behaviors. But at the end of the day, I feel like if we approach, you know, conflict and relationships in general from a standpoint of wanting to learn, um, you know, even if we feel like we know more than the other person on a particular topic or even if you feel right, that's the thing, like everyone feels right, but there's so much, like relationships are so dynamic and complex and communication is so dynamic and complex there's still something that can be learned. Like even if you're learning, um, you know, that person's point of view, you're learning, you know, their, their traumas. You know, by you taking a position of learning, you, like, you may uncover or make it, make it a safe space for them to heal because you take that disposition of I'm here to learn. I'm here to listen to you to understand. I'm here to listen and learn. And now this person is able to, you know, you know feel safe enough to communicate and maybe be vulnerable enough to really get to some of the heart of, of what the, the divide mm-hmm. or the disconnect may be. So, um, you know, I just want to, you know, just, just throw that learning, you know, uh, disposition you know, into the conversation. Yeah, and then again, just, uh, even to reiterate it just slightly, um, like you said, that concept of even eating shit, as we say, and again, that's not even, a, not, it's not for you to defend it, Mill, because we're not attacking that term. We're just kind of bringing a broader concept because a lot of people see it that way. But yes, yeah, so when I hear Dr. Sinjata say that learning aspect, it might even be you learning how to reach someone who has, let's say, a situation where it is an information difference and, you know, versus a feeling difference. So yeah, they, they, they lack the information. Yeah, let, you know, let me just, let me, yeah. So basically, it might just be you learning how to deliver it better. It could be the learning, you know what I mean? Knowing that you have information that maybe they're making the wrong decision with misinformation and maybe you're trying to give them the information that helps them and, and you learning how to do that, as you say, and I would call it, that's a form of, you know, I'll say eating shit, but again, it doesn't have to feel that way. Just throwing it out. Alisa, go ahead and get your thoughts in the milk. We'll let you um, get another thought before we let you go. You know, and it's funny that, you know, we kind of ended up on, on this piece and, you know, and agreeing totally what the doctor just said about that is, um, you know, it's something that 
I had a conversation with a colleague last week, and we were talking about, you know, our kids and saying how we be basically sometimes our kids feel EQ'd to death, meaning that, you know, emotional intelligence to death because we're always trying to work with them through stuff. And my kids got into an argument last night about something. So I have these EQ cards that, I, that, that we go through, and, and, and this is one of the things that came up last night was when they were arguing about whatever the issue was, it comes down to do you want to win or do you want to learn? Because we teach people do you want to win or do you want to lose? And if we teach people instead, do you want to win or do you want to learn, then that actually takes some of that power dynamic out of the conversation to the point that you do look at it from a learning perspective. And the other part of it is is that when you, when you try to fight to constantly win with somebody that you care for, then you actually are depleting your power and that person's power because it does become a power dynamic. And, and, and to, you know, to that point in general, you know, the whole, you know, the eat shit thing. And, you know, my son says to me last night, he says, Mom, he says, but do I have to dummy down to people who don't think like I do or who don't see things that are right there? And I said, but what about capacity? We each have a different capacity in the way that we process and we deal with things. And that also goes to what the callers talked about, was that if you know that you know this or you whatever and this person does not, we're just in a different space of capacity in the way that we process, learn, and experience things. So do you want to win or do you want to learn? And do you want to preserve? Uh, stuff. Milk, one last. Yeah, we got about 30 seconds of milk. Give Mickey 30 oh. seconds to get your last thought out. We got to go to break. The only thing is I want to say is um, I'm consistently on stage, and, and the thing is I understand that different people need to hear different things. So when I'm speaking, I'm speaking also from – when I go on stage, I, I go from the other angle that other people are not saying. So I know that, y'all, you know, you speak this way. So when you say – when I say eat shit, it's deliberately. You know what I mean? Like I know – Of course. I, know I, know I respect it. Absolutely. Other, you know I mean? Absolutely. So other people – there's other people in the, that's on the line that can't understand that language, so you got to say it a different way so they can get it. No, like it Lauren, no nah, I'm glad you brought it to the table. That's all. I love it, King. Appreciate you for bringing your thoughts. We are up against the break. We're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We'll be right back. But all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. You had a father in your household growing up, right? No. You didn't? No. You just had your mother? And my grandmother. And your grandmother. Mm-hmm. How often was your father around? Once in a while. Once in a while meaning once a year? You know, it would depend on the year. 
So sometimes a, a year would pass where you wouldn't see your father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no more than, I guess, two years. <laughs> That's a long time, I know. Very long time. But, um, yeah. So, this is a conversation that, that I've been having with people where if you're raised just around women and women are more emotional than men, do you in turn grow up to be a man who's overly emotional? Probably. You're going to have definitely elements of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of whoever you looked up to. Yeah. Do you feel that you're overly emotional because you didn't have your father around? I think I used to be very emotional. Mm. Especially when I was younger. You had to grow out of it. Yeah. I know my mom's had a short temper. And then I used to have a short temper. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, Elisa Ward. Special guest, Dr. Sanjata, for this morning's discussion question. Conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? So I just played a cut from Vlad TV interviewing Lord Jamar. As you hear him give an aspect of um, how to a certain extent, an idea of what it was like growing up without his father. And Vlad asked the question, you know, do you think without having the father around on a regular basis, did it make you overly emotional? I don't think we can fairly do this discussion if we don't get into the relation aspect. And this is something that constantly comes up, in my opinion, when it comes to this idea of, um, in a sense, how our boys in general, within the culture, American culture, not having been, in a sense, raised with fathers in the home on a regular basis, just comes up. It's, there's levels of reality to it, you know, not to just put it in the context of the stats, if you will, because we also know that, you know, black fathers, even outside the home, often do a much better job than the media would ever um, put out there. So I don't want to put it in the context of an either-or thing, um, but just the full context of the fact that, unfortunately, uh we don't have a lot of, in a sense, nuclear families, at least the nuclear families in the way that we describe them in today's society or Western society, um, because we are lacking that in general, then there's this idea that our generation, the hip-hop generation, that's larger, more, I'm a part of that generation. I would even concede that, there is, that some of what he said absolutely adds to, in my opinion, the inability to have conflict revolution um, using the, the terms that they talked about. Um, Dr. Sujata, I'm guessing you would differ on me on this because this is typically where we differ, but I definitely wanted to get your thoughts in reference to what you just heard. Yeah, so um, just to clarify really quick, Montoya, basically uh, the whole idea of like not having a father in the home as being a contributor, is that, is that basically where you're going with that? Yeah, just yeah, just being a contributor in the sense that we now have a in a sense I'll say the hip hop generation. Me being part of the hip hop generation, I think we're seeing more conflict within our relationships due to not having learned that balance at home, if you will. It's kind of where I'm trying to go with that, if that makes sense. 
Well, you're saying not learning it at home, but did you also say, and I, and I apologize because I, you know, I'm multitasking, but you said um, not having it at home, but you also mentioned not having a father at home. I want to make sure I'm clear on that part. Like having the two, the nuclear yeah, yeah, I'm family. Saying, I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying not. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah, generally speaking, a lot of us in the hip hop generation, we have not, we've been raised with, with, with one parent. A lot of us have been raised majority right. of our time with one parent versus having both in the home, and I think it, it I think that right. lends to balance. I think some of the overly emotional term that we use, I think, comes from that dynamic. I, I think we have to have that discussion in reference to the lack of conflict right. resolution we see within the community. In my, I hope I'm making that clear. Yeah, yeah, you're making it clear. Um, I guess, you know, what, what I want to bring to that, um, you know, I hear that a lot, and I understand a lot of people's value sets lie there. Um, as you know, I have a different perspective because, you know, um, I just go back a little further. Um, the nuclear family is something that is, is new. It's not, it's not uh, through the, the, the long scope of history. Um, you know, humans are more tribal um, than they are nuclear. Um, so, you know, within the tribal context, the whole idea that it takes a village, um, that's beyond a quote-unquote mother and father household. And the, the idea of the nuclear family and the marketing behind all of that and the capitalistic marketing and the colonization and marketing and all that indoctrination that our generation was born into, um, it makes it seem like, oh, that's the missing piece. But what I would argue is that community is the missing piece is, you know, um, again, it really does take a village uh, because, you know, just because, you know, those, if you had that nuclear family, there's no guarantee that those two people uh, are equipped. It's not. There's no guarantee that those two people have the capacity. Um, and I'm, I appreciate Elisa for bringing. I was over here snapping my fingers when she brought the capacity, you know, nuance and context to this 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 conversation, because that's important. And the reality is, you know, uh, that a two person, a two parent household, um, does not solve for all the the the, the, the needs of of humans. And that's where the community comes in because those two people may not have the skill sets to be good at conflict resolution, but the village, someone in the village would, you know, in the old context. Uh, and that's why a lot of activists um, who are in communities and, and, and reimagining how to be in community uh, understand and the importance of having mediators um, in, in, in communities. And a lot of people do the work of mediation and saying, you know what, you don't have to feel like you have to have it all figured out you know, as a quote-unquote nuclear family or as a single family, whatever, uh, because, you know, a part of this village is we have mediators. We have people that they have the capacity to hold conflict and help people sort, the, sort, sort through things. And within the old village concept, and also, you know, when I talk about authentic dialogue, that's an indigenous practice. You know, the, the, the things that I've studied on the topic, uh, it, it always goes back to, you know, how it, the indigenous people, um, you know, were in relationship with one another. Um, you know, and again, they, they were in relationship in the ways of being in, in, in a village, you know, context. So that's what I want to add. So, Elisa, again, Dr. Sanjata has obviously studied it to that degree. I, I want to bring to the context the idea that, you know, as a mother, little boy fall over, you know, skin his knee maybe, you know, the nature is caught him. The father often will say, he ain't hurt that bad, keep playing. And if he ain't hurt that bad, that's a lesson learned. I, I do after school program and it makes a huge difference in some aspects of bringing that to some of my young boys who have do not have that at home. 
and you can see the difference by the end of the year, you know, in a sense, you know, where they stand with some of the things that I'm hopefully by the end of the year can input because they're not getting it. I also have mothers who are thankful that they, that, they, that certain aspects have, have been, in a sense, instilled because they, for them, they wasn't as even not Dr. Sinjata said, maybe not equipped on their own to since do that. They don't have the village that Dr. Sinjata speaks of, and I'm not I'm not in disagreement with the village aspect because that's obviously key, and we definitely hear about that culturally. Uh, coming from where we, in a sense, where we uh, come from, if you will, uh, in the reality of not having that village now, um, do you think men of this generation are more emotional, just in the sense of what you just heard Lord Demar say, and how does it play out in this concept of conflict resolution inside of our families if men, in fact, are considered more emotional? Again, I'm not trying to be definitive on that, but that is the thought process. What do you think of that, um, Queen? Um, I can actually say I'm 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 very close to to pretty much what Dr. Jada was you know about what he said, and 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 I'll offer you this you know as far as the nuclear family concept of it, do we even really know what a nuclear family is supposed to be? I'm definitely with the village um, mindset, and I'll say that because as a mom who was divorced many years ago, raising two boys and a girl by myself, I knew that I was not equipped to give them everything that they needed. So what I did was I reached out to my village, and when my village didn't have what I needed for my son, then I added to my village so that it was there. Because as parents, we have a right to give things to our children that we don't have, but we haven't been raised to know that or to understand that or to believe that. Because just because you have a nuclear family doesn't mean that that family is well. That family could be full of trauma. And a lot of times, especially in today's world, people look at shared trauma and think that means shared compatibility, and they become a couple and become parents, and then generationally they pass that trauma down onto their kids. And if you look historically, even going back to slave days, how many of us really had that nuclear family? So do we really know what that looks like, and is the family itself healthy? It really is, in my opinion, the responsibility of us to go back to that tribal nature and to say as a community we need to do these things. As far as men being more emotional, I worked for a men's publication before, learned more than I could ever learn. I thought I would learn about men. Some of that is nature versus nurture, women um, nurturing and protecting kids from the world, men preparing kids for the world. Um, and, and then some of that is also that we're just in a different space in the world where we're saying it's okay to talk about emotions. So are they more emotional or are we just being more verbal about how we feel? Because we can say that about media, we can say that about stuff on, on in the news, whatever. Is there more news? Is there more of this? Or are we seeing more of it? So I think maybe that really could be the question, in my opinion. Well, fair enough. What I'll I'll say is, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We got about got a minute before break. Go ahead, make it quick. Go ahead. I just want to make sure. I I want to make sure that I'm not erasing anyone from this conversation and and acknowledge the fact that gender is a social construct, and I believe what we're talking about is like a balance of masculine and feminine, uh, because you know every person that has a penis isn't necessarily masculine, and everyone that has a vagina isn't necessarily feminine. Like those things are on a spectrum. And I just want to bring that into the conversation as well and acknowledge those people who may be listening um, that may not fall within that gender binary of man, woman, and acknowledge that, you know, all humans, humans across the gender spectrum um, and the sexuality spectrum can contribute to the village of helping to raise children, and all their contributions are valuable. 
Absolutely. All right, we are up against the break caller, but the caller is out there. We'll get you coming out of the break. This morning's discussion question, conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? If you are trying to get in on the conversation this morning, please give us a call at 646-787-1691. You do have to press once to let us know you want to speak. Again, that number is 646-787-1691. going to hear hit eyes on you from Taylor Pace at the top of the hour. You're going to hear another cut, and again, get into the media aspect, things that we're seeing, as Elisa just alluded to. Are we seeing it more? But we definitely have more reality TV shows that play into this, if you will. So we're going to get a cut out of it after we hear this beautiful song, Eyes on You by Taylor Pace. You're lucky. You done got hit about five times right now. You so you whack. You can't even follow a simple 
Put your, put it back on your wrist. And because you don't even know what I'm shocking you, <laughs> shocking me out of spite. How right. you know the shocking you out of? You just said I was yelling and I wasn't yelling. You ain't never learned nothing. So what the am I doing here? Wasting my time? Time is money and you don't pay the bill. So don't waste my time. Yo, I, I swear you're supposed to be electrocuted right now. Welcome back to the Vintage Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host, Alisa Ward, as well as special guest, Dr. Shadada, for this morning's discussion question, conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? We just heard a cut from Marriage Boot Camp, uh, hip-hop artist Bado and Tahiri, a couple of known reality stars, if you will, I guess they're basically, just to give a little context, they're going through a marriage boot camp, preparing them for dealing with their issues prior prior to marriage. And this example, this is how far this show went to, to, to in a sense, deal with conflict resolution. So they basically, um, based on their issues, they were given shockers um, based on them listing, hey, here's what this person does, this is what this person does, and they admitted to what they do and they wanted to improve. And so because when they would dialogue, they would jump into their their issues, the idea was shock the other partner when they're doing one of the things that you have listed here. And so that's where you keep hearing the shocks and back and forth and the back and forth as it delved into anything but conflict resolution. But that's what you're, you're hearing there. And so when, at least when you say, are we seeing it more? Well, I would offer that even doing things like this in the media and showing this type of drama adds to to learning more of that conflict that's being normalized than actually the conflict resolution that we're speaking of so beautifully this morning. I think I see a lot of people diving into knockdown dragouts to obviously this is an exaggerated example via TV, but if you hear at the very end, again, the goal was, shock the other partner so they would recognize what they were doing and hopefully they would stop doing it because the shock would be the reminder. But as you see at the end of that bottle, the man had gotten to the point where he was like, you should be executed right now. He was more caught up in her being wrong. And they were both doing it to each other, but I'm just talking about the way it ended. He was like, you should be executed right now. And like he was relishing in that versus Clearly, this shock treatment did not work whatsoever. Uh, but again, I think that is a prime example of what we're seeing promoted. People watch it, and we get more interactions like that throughout the community versus the things that we are talking about this morning. Um, Elisa, any thoughts, again, to that cut? I'm going to play another cut in the next break as well, but I want to start there. Well, you know, when I listened to that, one of the first things I thought was that it wasn't about resolving conflict. It was about power um, and, and, and the power inequity between two people was what my thoughts were about that. And um, and we're in a flux. We're in a real flux everywhere where everybody wants to feel like they have some power. And when you in, in my work, when I, when I have conversations with my clients, you know, I ask them, what do you want to get out of this? Do you want to preserve the relationship? Do you want to fix the concerns that you have? Or do you want to feel like you have power? And I get both answers depending on who I'm talking to. And that's kind of like where the start is about a lot of this, especially like in, in that particular clip, is that, you know, the conflict is the conflict resolution is coming to a place 
where we can walk away from this and feel like we're okay with that. But a power struggle is a different dynamic, and 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 when and when you deal with that power struggle, you got to get through that to even begin to think about resolving a problem. So, I mean, those are just my thoughts of when I heard that clip. Doctor um, Shajada, someone who does this for a living, I'm pretty sure you, the idea of shocking one another when the other one does something wrong is a pretty twisty twisted way to get the conflict resolution, which was supposedly the attempt by this show. Obviously, they're doing it for ratings, um, if you will, but your thoughts on that clip as well, then we're going to go to the call. Yeah, I mean, you said it, and uh, Lisa said it. Um, you know, I, I it's, it's very twisted, and like you said, I mean, obviously, they have to add some entertainment value, uh, but it's a shame, though, that, that a lot of people um, – you know, so many people aren't exposed to more pro-healthy or pro-social ways of resolving conflict, and they look at things like that. And, yeah, I just hope more people get exposed to the information we're sharing today versus shows like that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we're competing against mass media when it comes to that. And here's the dynamic I got of it. Um, and let me maybe if y'all want to give, give me a response to this, then we'll go to the caller. But here's the ultimate dynamic, and I think – um, a lot of us can be guilty of it. I've been guilty of this. When it comes to the dialogue or the conflict, here you have two people who are supposedly look, you know, trying to move forward and get married, right? But what what stands out, again, this is just what happens quite often, is we get into the dialogue, especially their situation where they're trying to work on their issues and how they communicate. This is what this example was supposed to do. Obviously, it failed miserably. But inside of that is the idea that we quite often are guilty of in our dialogues with our significant others and those who want to move forward and you know, have a family with, we actually get caught up in the other person needs to see their issue. And that's what the shocker, in a sense, was a, a, a highlighting that aspect. So the idea was if I could, you know, we, got, we, we are agreeing to do this, and if you cut out that thing you're doing and I cut out the thing I'm doing, we will be able to have better conflict resolution. But often in conflict resolution, we stay caught up in the idea if the other person would just stop doing. Um, if one of y'all could just give me a thought on that, then we'll go to the caller. But I think that is a huge issue inside of getting to resolve, and quite often resolution doesn't happen because we're more caught up in what the other person should stop doing, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, our um, identity is often tied to what we believe. If we have to change our belief, then we now challenge our identity of who we are, and that's uncomfortable. And many times in situations like that, that's exactly what happens, is by me seeing it the other way or dealing with the other way um, or actually listening and learning I now have to be uncomfortable. So what's the way of me not feeling that discomfort? Then I now can project and then away from the situation by projecting it onto you. And that's unfortunately a dysfunctional coping strategy that many people have learned. Um, a lot of people don't even know that they learned it from their parents or they learned it from school or they learned it from experience or wherever they learned it from. But it's a, it's a dysfunctional coping strategy, and and we've got to be able to unlearn that. But until we can be in touch with and comfortable with our own 
discomfort of our emotions and maybe our belief systems not being good for us or good for our situation, so we have to change them until we can get to that, it, it makes it difficult for people to come away from that type of coping strategy. Now, the prime example, even in that crazy example, you know, clip that I just played would be just hearing Tahiri, if you will, uh, yell, get shocked, shocked for yelling, and she was going, what you shocking me for? Because you're yelling. I'm not even yelling. You know what I mean? Like, you're literally yelling prior to the shot, even after the shot. You're still not seeing it. And so I think what you're referring to, the idea of projecting it, is because definitely keeps you from even seeing what you, in fact, are doing. Let's go to the caller. Area code 678, last three, 243. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Good morning, Queen. Good morning, King. This is Jason Warner out of Atlanta. Um, I just wanted to quickly talk about the call, the, the this break which you had with Vlad TV. Um, and he said that women are more emotional. I really, really want to push back on that. Um, and you actually said something, Montoya, when you work with uh, young people and you say, hey, they're not that hurt, this, that, and the third. Well, pressure bust pipes. If boys have always been told, man up, get up, don't cry, don't do this, the emotions don't go away, right? What they do is bottle up and they – they, they come out in different forms of expression and rage and violence and different things like that. So I'm of the position that we all have emotions. Boys are just are not allowed to express those in this culture, in this society, because it's a man-up society. Don't be soft. Don't be this. And we see it play out in adulthood because we don't know how to deal with all these emotions and we end up actually crying on the inside. So that's that's my two cents that I want to drop um, on that post or that comment. No, absolutely, um, Dr. Shinjada. I'm pretty sure that resonates with you. We got about a, fortunately, another minute before the break, but we can definitely continue this conversation after the break. But I'll let you jump in uh, with with this thought from Jason. Thank you, King, for your three cents this morning. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I, I what's going on, Jason? Um, and I, I definitely agree. Um, and again, I just, you know, the man up again, it, it just, you know, I'm a systems thinker, man. And it just, it just plays to the, the, the patriarchy is done. Like patriarchy, not only, not only hurts women, patriarchy also hurts, uh, you know, people with penises too, people who, uh, society calls boys or men, um, and what, and puts people in boxes and say how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to be. And it doesn't allow people to show up in the world and be their true selves. And there's a certain thing that, there's a lot of uh, a lot of trauma that just comes from that alone, and a lot of like un unspoken and like a lot of people born with penises aren't even allowed to be their true selves because patriarchy says they have to show up a certain way, even within the way we respond to conflict. So and the whole idea of man up, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it's it, it goes deep. You know, it goes deep. A lot of people are still wearing masks. A lot of people, you know, are still you know my age in their 40s and still trying to live up to what patriarchy says they have to be because they were born you know, with the penis and masculine. And the reality is there's so many, you know, variables going on in terms of the spectrum and the ways that people show up. Um, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of times don't want to go there with these type of conversations, but hey, I'm going there. And uh, because I, I operate in spaces where people have been able to be more authentic and take those masks off. And I, I've learned so much more about the human experience uh, because of that. So, um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, let me jump in right here on this break, and yeah. we'll, okay. you know, I'm gonna come back and challenge you and Jason because you know I'm old school with it, and I think there's a place for some of it. And I think we lose sight of balancing it out, but we'll go into that coming out of the break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. Big Sis Media Group is a full-service design agency with tools available to help clients communicate with audiences through visual and digital media. So what exactly does that mean? You need graphic design? Call Big Sis Media. You need web design? Call Big Sis Media. You need audio or video production? Call Big Sis Media. You need a branded strategy for your business? Call Big Sis Media. Damn, they do everything, don't they? Nope, even better. They're professionals. Whatever service you need, they do a consultation, send over a contract with a deadline, and meet that deadline. A true one-stop shop for all your digital and media needs, all at an affordable price. What's their website and phone number? BigSysMediaGroup.com, 404-465-4348. Again, that's BigSysMediaGroup.com. Com. Call them at 404-465-4348. If I would have got stopped right now, I would have deserved it. But you know what wasn't part of the list? Oh, my God. Boom, boom. Like, oh, Word? Yo, look at this alien management. I poked the bear. You just disrespected me. Damn, I... This is crazy. I don't give a... You don't feel bad. You should be ready to say sorry. <laughs> Somebody gonna get hurt, man. Make some applesauce. Wrap them about apples. I'm a thrower, and I'm not gonna throw punches. And I was actually trying to be funny with it. I told him to go make applesauce. <laughs> crazy, man. All boot campers. Lord boot have camper. mercy. All boot campers to the boot camp room. How do you guys think you did? Could you figure it out? Hmm? Could you figure it out, Tahiri? Uh, I think he was enticing me to become that person that I don't want to be anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I look crazy to y'all. I look extra aggressive. Yo, you look like, oh, Yo, like, oh, where my oh, oh, yo. No, 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 no. Fuck it out. Oh, oh no, no. Oh, no. Like, you lucky I don't you, yo. Are you kidding me? This house is on fire. Just threw that apple in my face with me. Your hands on. Okay. I'm going to count. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Elisa Word. Our special resolution in the Black family, what should we do as we hear another cut from marriage boot camp between Badu and Tahiri. Um, just to give some context, if you weren't able to capture that, um, they were having a dialogue. She got upset and threw uh, Apple and it hit him in the face. And so that's what drove him to get so upset. And he was saying, hey, she should say she's sorry. Then they brought them together after they had their one-on-one to say, hey, how did I do? And some of you may have seen this. Bado got so upset, it definitely was all over social media, that he reaches to try to choke her literally in front of everyone on national TV uh, for what it's worth. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, obviously it's taped or whatever, but he was still in front of the, the rest of the group in front of a, a audience. And so he was so moved and so upset that he was willing to attack her in front of 
everybody. And the last thing, that, and this was, was what stood out to me, the last thing that he said in that cut was, I'm going to county. It's, he was so upset that he was willing to go to jail. He's been in jail before, from what I understand, you know, for, for other things or whatever, that he was willing to go to jail because he was so upset that she had thrown an apple. And then for her side of it, I, I threw an apple instead of hitting him. I was trying to be funny, and that you know that's her projecting, not willing to see her part in it. Uh, but at the end of the day, getting into the context of what we were just talking about, I can say from from my standpoint, people would say, "Well, dang, he was so bold that he did it in front of people." Obviously, the it, the bigger issue is that he's willing to put his hands, you know, on someone. She definitely shouldn't have thrown an apple. She says, "I'm not a hitter. I just did that instead of hitting." Uh, both of them clearly are wrong. This is the level of conflict that they're at. This is how they handle uh, their conflict, which is nothing good about it. But I will say that, one, never should be putting his hand on a woman. I live and group raise and believe in that. And I'm sitting here going, wow, so emotional that he couldn't even hold his emotions even in front of the world, if you will. And so where Jason mentioned prior to the break that, yes, we experience the emotions, but we're taught to cope with it different. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think there is value in I would have been just upset, just as upset as Bottle was with her hitting me with the apple in the face. Now, I'm out of the situation. I'm not going to no longer try to be have a relationship with you after you've done something like that. But, again, that's my approach. Uh, but even in that situation, no way whether it's in front of people or behind closed doors, I am not going to be emotionally moved to the point that I'll accept going to jail to, as you heard him say in the cut, and somebody's going to get hurt. And then when he gets back with her later, he literally tries to choke her in front of everybody. That's the level of emotion that I'm seeing out here due to seeing this type of stuff on TV too much. And what I think comes from not having, in my opinion, a male figure in the life to kind of say, that's not how you handle handle that. And, and, and that's kind of how I look at that. So I definitely want to get y'all thoughts, but that's my pushback that there has to be, in my opinion, some balance considering the reality that we live in right now. And there are aspects of, you know, Dr. Tunjada, I know uh, the idea of getting out of this competition and capitalism, you know, while, while I absolutely respect that, you know, I'm always saying, well, the reality is this right now. So, in, in, you know, if we are competing, there are, there is some value in showing up this way, uh, if, if I'm making sense. Um, so I guess I'll go ahead and start with you and then get Elisa's thoughts on it as well. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I operate – I respect where you are and uh, where people like you are. Um, it's just hard for me to operate in paradigms that I feel like are toxic and um, within paradigms and systems that I feel like are toxic and that hurt people. So I'm more interested in operating a more uh, holistic, more healthy, more sustainable, um, you know, paradigms and systems and or creating them. So um, I'm not interested in trying to survive within the current systems. I'm more so, and I live my life, in the in the way that I'm uh, in the transitioning uh, way. So everything I do, and as you know, everything I do and everything I, I'll just say everything I do is, is about that transition. It's about being an example um, so that other people can look across, you know, the whatever, the divide and say, hold on, there is another way to do this. 
So um, for me, all I can say is I respect where you are, um, and I think that it's important that people who are where you are uh, can speak that language uh, for the people who are still where you are. And, and, and you know, mm-hmm. I've shared a video with you where we talk about, like, the different transitions, and I think it's important for people like you who are there to, uh, to, to help and keep the people safe who are still operating in that paradigm. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm there when folks are so ready to have healed. Yeah, who are, who are just ready to move to that next, to another paradigm. I'm, I'm there. Um, no, nah, that's I, fair. That's that fair. So let me, yeah, that's, no, nah, that's a great, okay. no, it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, that's perfect. Um, again, I want that out there okay. because again, I want to get your, your thoughts on it. So that's perfect. So when I transition this back to you, Elisa, so what I want to say to you, Queen, is this. And so in the position that I'm in, I'm looking at Votto in that situation going, that's the emotional stuff that's, that leads to a lot of issues within relationships. You, you understand what I'm saying? And, 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 and when I was Uber driving, I remember I would, every now and then I would pick up, uh, you know, and, and Dr. John, I know you, you know, we, we've kind of done that together in the past or whatever, and you're, you're probably familiar with this, but when you're Uber driving, you're almost like that taxi car cab driver and people tell you all kind of stuff i always think to myself i'm like i would never tell a stranger these things but anyway i would get in situations where tom i would pick up some young ladies and they would be talking about the dynamics of their relationships and every you know and then my sister they might even say well, you know what's your opinion but i'll I never forget a couple of times i had situations where young ladies was talking about being you know um willing to fight their boyfriend or they thought like they literally thought this was okay and so i think that is a dynamic of the, in a sense, the too emotional society that everything goes. I'm angry, so what I, I'm angry, so what I do after this point, you just have to, you have to contend with. And again, I'm just adding that I think the too emotion plays into the lack of conflict resolution. For example, Votto willingly in front of everybody, again, what behind closed doors doesn't make it better but it just shows to the level of lack of control of emotion that I find value in some aspects of, you know, as a man, you should never act this way. And that's the correction I would give him. Cause I was in a sense raised by my culture, see my grandfather that way, if you will. So by example, I knew to never do that. He never said those words to me directly, but I, you know, not having seen that experience between my grandfather and my grandmother, I guess I, picked it up by assimilation, and I think that's what happens when you see decent examples at home. Go ahead, Queen. So, you know, I I know that historically we've been taught, you know, men should not hit women, and I I believe that to be true. Um, But I also believe women shouldn't hit men, and I believe that non-binary shouldn't hit non-binary. And whether that's physically hitting someone or or throwing something at a person, um, I've been very mindful of that in my own experience as a parent in teaching my daughter the same exact thing that I teach my son. We don't hit, we don't throw. And we don't even throw awful words directed at you, the person. And I think that their responsibility for that is on both parents, male, female, or otherwise. And I think until we get there, we're going to continue to have problems. No, a man should never hit a woman. And a man is, is a, a masculine body has been 
determined to be stronger and, and whatever in many cases. But that's not even in all. If you look at people now, you won't see that all the time. There are many women who are stronger than, than some of the men that they deal with. But, but the, the root of it here is that's an impulse control problem. And we're living in a society that tells us that we want fair and equal, and I as a woman can do just the same thing as a man can do and vice versa. And so with that in mind, then I can be aggressive. I can treat someone this way or I can do that. No, the answer to me is that we don't operate in that way, period, because it's unhealthy regardless of gender or non-gender conforming um, identity. It's unhealthy, and I think that, you know, my sons have one of my – they've seen people who've experienced females who were very, very aggressive. And so it's like, well, he didn't hit her back, and that's great that he had that strength. But I tell my daughter, everybody's not raised like you because somebody might hit you back. Is it wrong? Absolutely. But we have to not put ourselves in positions to Dr. Scott's point where we're, that, where we're in that toxic type of situation like that. And for somebody to do that, I don't know that he chose to do that publicly. I think that he lost control of positive choices. And he resorted to an ineffective, dysfunctional, toxic coping strategy that just didn't work for him or anybody else in that situation. And I think that we both, male, female, and otherwise, all three, have a responsibility to teach people it is not okay, period. Nah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I call it weak, you know, just keeping it 100 as far as how I see it. We are up against the break. We come out of the break. I'm going to let Jason get back in. I'm pretty sure he's right at the bit to continue part of this conversation since I called him out a little bit. We'll do that. We are a family show. That's what we do. We have t- tough and difficult conversations, consider ourselves the best in the world at it. So we'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. MoneyMotivation.com, premium streetwear brand. Go check them out. Definitely support those who support us. If you're an individual, you can also go to mentaldialogue.com and become a supporter. Got your question. Conflict resolution in the black family. What should we do? Our special guest co-host is Elisa Ward, along with special guest Dr. Sanjata. I got Jason Warner on the line. I'm going to bring him live. Thanks a lot, King, for being with us. Uh, Just figured you had a few more thoughts in reference to the last segment. If you will, King, jump in. Yeah, I just I just want to really want to clarify what I was saying. 
and and honestly, I feel like you made my point in that. Because this young man has been taught his whole life to to hold it, to man up, to do all these different things, he was he was never able to understand those emotions and how to to react. So he reacted in a way on live TV, like you say, um, that was unhealthy. Had he started getting the tools early on in his life, he he could have made better choices, and just like she could have made better choices. So that's what I was speaking of. It's, it's not to do with you know the that emotion comes up because it's going to come up. The goal is to be able to make sure that we're able to to control those emotions and understand how to deal with them instead of just bottling them up all the time. And that's the point that I was trying to make. Nah, great clarification. I'll let um, uh, Lisa address what you had to say as well. Great clarification, though. Um, Thanks for that, King. Any thoughts about um, um, Jason's clarification? Yeah, I mean, and and, and I agree with that because, I mean, he's right, and that goes back to the point of, you know, those coping strategies. Like, it's – we have to learn ones that, that, that are healthy and that make sense. And when you don't have them, you know, and especially, you know, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, historically how, how males have had to suppress their, their emotions. And, and the truth is they don't go away, you know, whoever you are. Taking the, the gender identity or, you know, um, masculine female component out of it, period, we all have emotions and despite – or whether or not we we voice those to people, they're singing in the background, and they're going to somehow manifest. Whether they manifest positively or they manifest negatively, they're going to. So the, the end goal really to me is to make sure that we're creating a space for people to have opportunity to deal with their emotions, to listen and to be heard, and to also learn strategies that are helpful to them. And some people have more energy. Some people have more um, aggression by nature in their bodies, and they've got to learn what to do with that. And we we got to do a better job of that instead of saying, don't cry, don't jump, don't do this, don't do that. So if you're telling me all this stuff that I can't do, then tell me what I can do because these emotions are still running in the background. Very strong point. So, Dr. Sanjata, let's go to your work right now. I think this is the perfect time to, in a sense, move into gold. So uh, we talked about how crazy it was for the marriage boot camp to even come up with the idea of shockers, if you will, for Vado and Tahiri. So that same couple, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't kept up with, I don't watch TV that much, really. I don't know what their status is now. But let's say that couple's coming to you to say, hey, we, we want to figure this thing out. Here's our issues. Clearly, you're not going to put shockers on them, right? And so, but one thing that I, at least with the cut that I played, the running theme that I heard from a Tahiri standpoint, in my opinion, was just not being aware of what she too was doing. And again, that uh, nothing warrants Vado's reaction to her. So I'm not even trying to make make that case. In the event of someone listening to us this morning, and you know, we sit here saying, "Hey, we got to do it more healthy." If I don't know how to do that. How do I start? I'm, you know, I'm coming to you with a couple, and we're saying, hey, we're having this issue, but I don't know how to do it in a healthier manner. How do we start that process from your standpoint? Yes. Um, well, just by coming to someone like myself um, is starting the process. Just recognizing it is step one and deciding that you want to 
you know, uh, try something different. Um, and then, you know, from there, it's a matter of uh, opting in to learning new skills. And, you know, when both people opt in to learn new skills, then, you know, you're setting that, you're, you're, you're setting the foundation to create something new. Um, and, you know, through the process of alternate dialogue, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of foundational, you know, skills that I help people to uh, get in touch with, skills that we all have, um, like, uh, and that just needs some, some honing and, and some practice, like empathetic listening, uh, the ability to empathetically listen, listen, which is listening to understand, listening with all of our senses, not just our ears, but listening with our eyes, our intuition, you know, feeling through, um, you know, what, what someone's really trying to say and suspending our own views and beliefs temporarily uh, to really empathize with someone else. Uh, also, empathetic questioning. You know, empathetic questions signal to the other person that, um, you know, I, I understand what you're saying and I care about what you're saying is important to me and I want to understand even more. Um, and and when, you, when you switch your, your paradigm to empathetic question, uh, listening and empathetic questioning, now you're in that learning uh, headspace. And when you're in that learning headspace, the other person feels that. And when the other person feels that, tensions automatically begin to go down. They don't escalate. They, they de-escalate. Um, and then the last thing that, that, that I teach for people to, to activate is, is tolerance uh, as a foundational skill set. And there's, there's more tools in the, in, the, in the tool set, but those are the three primary foundational ones. Uh, you know, and tolerance is, is activating the capacity to accept uh, beliefs that you don't necessarily agree with. And it relieves you of the stress of everyone having to be the same. You know, and again, we, unfortunately, we, we've been indoctrinated with this, this, this idea that, you know, everyone has to be the same. We, we, we're brought up in a society that's, that's built on standards and standardization. And we're always moving towards standardization, and that's why I push back against standardization across every context, uh, because we're all dynamic and complex. And when you can um, unlearn standardization, uh, unlearn the idea that, you know, we have to think the same, be the same, do the same, and un unlearn the idea that, you know, even the way in our language, the way that we talk, we speak in like these generalizations that, you know, lump each other into these, you know, neat boxes in the way that we understand the world. Uh, but tolerance kind of pushes back against that and it says, you know what, I'm able, I'm willing to and able to tolerate that we're not all the same and it kind of relieves, you know, some pressure. Um, so those are like the, the very high-level core things that I uh, introduce to people to start that process. And once people add those tools to their, their, their tool belt, um, they begin to, it, it just, it, it, it's like a light bulb goes off and, uh, you know, people realize it's not that hard uh, once they start doing those things. And, you know, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's a starting point to authentic dialogue. Nah, it makes sense. Uh, Lisa, you are an emotional intelligence coach, and the idea of projection, I think that that is quite often something that happens in a lot of relationships. I've been guilty of it. Uh, and so um, as an emotional intelligence coach for someone that maybe comes to you, again, because I know y'all help couples all the time with the work that y'all do and people, um, but in the sense of if I am a projector, um, how do you deal with me um, I don't know, recognizing it, if you will, or maybe I'm just now beginning to recognize it, but because I'm in the habit of not seeing myself, my dialogue takes place. In, like, you know, and you already given that example. It, 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 it takes place where I'm projecting that hurt when I think somebody else is doing it and I'm projecting it on my mate who I say I love and who I care about, which in my mind I do, but when we're in conflict, it's war. 
<laughs> so your thoughts from your standpoint, Queen? Well, I think that, that that first step um, that was just mentioned about recognizing that, you know, you're in a place where you need that help. And people get to that place, um, from my experience, you, when, when the pain of losing the relationship and or connection is greater than the pain of staying in that comfort of dysfunction is when we reach out. For when people come to me, they're in that place. And one of the things that, you know, empathy is huge but also empathy for yourself. I help people to turn things on themselves. Just like you want compassion from other people, when do you show compassion to yourself? Just like you want empathy and forgiveness from other people, when do you show that to yourself? So I help people to turn it inward on themselves on their own terms so that then they can un- they can begin to identify what it is they need. Because when a person is projecting, they need something. And at that moment, it's usually they want to be heard they, they've had a problem being heard in the past, whether it's by you or somebody else, or they've been suppressed in some way where they felt helpless, and now they feel the only way that they can now project their power is to take it. So they got to find out what they need. So I help them find what is it that you need? What is it that you need right now? What did you need in that moment? And how did that make you feel? Because when I understand how they made them feel, which gave them their relief, then I can help them, direct them in a different direction to find ways to give them that feeling and that release that are more positive and more healthy. Nah, it makes a lot of sense. I think Jason wants to get back in. Let me make sure I'm taking care of him. Jason, you trying to get back in here, King? Were you trying to get back in? It looks like you came off the one and back on the one. All right, maybe he wasn't. Just check. I'm not. Anybody I'm... out there listening? If you... Okay, no problem. We got it. All right, yeah, anybody out there listening, if you want to get in, we've got one last segment here coming up after this break, 646-787-1691. You have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. Again, that's 646-787-1691. What I definitely want to get into for this last segment is, um, again, I think, well, I should say again, but Alisa, you just alluded to the fact that once somebody comes to you, they are, they are at that point where they're like, Okay, losing this relationship is more painful than, you know, than what we've been doing. And so they are seeking that help. Um, I definitely want to get into at least y'all thoughts on, as we say this, the conflict resolution in the black family, the concept of even more families looking towards someone like yourself, uh, Dr. Sanjata. We've mentioned this before, uh, you know, in the sense the idea of looking for an expert or a therapy or outside help. Sometimes there's even pride and how we look at those things and it getting the help that we need or, or, or what I think of somebody like yourself, authentic dialogue, I think you're the perfect step before we even have to get people, in my opinion, to counseling or therapy, which we also understand the stigmas that are associated with that in our community, some of it fair, some of it unwarranted. And so I, I definitely would love to see more people just learn how to enact, as you say, authentic dialogue in, in many cases, if they learn, you know, some of that foundation that you're talking about, in my opinion, they will find that they don't they can they don't have to get to the counseling stage where the pain has gotten so bad that here's our only chance to salvage this thing. If they were just, in a sense, learn to talk to one another with, for example, empathetic listening, as you said. So I love those thoughts. We're going to go to this last break, and that's kind of how we're going to close it out. How do we get more people to learn this so they have better family dynamics. Again, that's what made this conversation worth it. 
been listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478 478- 781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways. Every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Again, if you have a product or a service that you would like to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, please contact me directly at 404-604-477 or inbox me on the Mental Dialogue Facebook page, which is at Mental Dialogue, or even DM me on IG. Please follow us on social media. The IG page is mental underscore dialogue. If you, again, have a product or service you would like to get out. If you are an individual that wants to stay in support of, with like we say, the return of intelligent radio, We've been doing this thing for five years. I want to shout out those who do support um, at mentaldialogue.com. Please go there and see the different levels. If you're in the Atlanta area, we encourage you to become a member. Um, Only $9 to support. If you're outside of Georgia, it's only $5 a month to support. So we definitely need our supporters, and you'll see on the page what you receive with your supporter level or membership. Or if you have a business that wants to promote on a regular basis, we also have business memberships um, out platinum and black level membership. So please go again to mentaldialogue.com, see what our ultimate mission is, which is to become a virtual neighborhood where African Americans trade goods and services and ideas. This is just one of our tools, the, the, the weekly talk show, but we also have online events currently. Um, so definitely go to mentaldialogue.com to see our other events that we do. Uh, with that said, this morning's discussion question. Conflict resolution in the black family, what should we do? Uh, before we even get into um, the aspect, I'm going to get um, um, Eric trying to get back in real quick. Matter of fact, let me let him jump in real quick. Um, Eric, you trying to get back in? Uh, yes. Uh, excellent. So I have to become a monthly uh, supporter of you, definitely. So. Oh, I know. You yeah, you sound, you, hey, you the best call I got. You the best call I got, bro. <laughs> Nah. You call in, yeah. I need to call in. I just want to become a monthly supporter. I ain't got nothing else I want to say. I just want to do that, and I'm messing with you. Go ahead, brother. What's your thoughts? Now, definitely, mentaldialogue.com is pretty simple. But yeah, definitely come support what we're doing. But go ahead, brother. I'm messing with you. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I know, bro. Um, just the whole thing with the – I know lately, um, last several years, I hope I hear more about the whole patriarchy versus, I guess, matriarchy approach to life. Um, and we talk about um, Africans and African-Americans – how far back does the patriarchy, matriarchy, matriarchy go in terms of African societies, and how far does it go in terms of our, our time here in the U.S. in terms of 
which way mm-hmm. should we approach life, and I guess that determines how we do conflict resolution too. So. Oh, that's a great question. I'm a, um, I've done some study on that, but I would say Dr. Dr. Oh, okay. done more study, so I'm going to go ahead and concede to him to give you an answer um, to that question. Go ahead, Dr. Sajada. Thank you for that question again, Eric, and thank you for Appreciate your willingness it. to become a supporter. I'm going to go ahead and let you go since we are in our last segment, but we will answer, okay, yeah, but we will answer your question. Yep. Go ahead, Dr. Sanjata. Any thoughts to that question? Yeah. Very, very briefly, um, just according to the latest scientific evidence, um, you know, patriarchy evolved shortly after the agricultural revolution, which was about 10,000, 10 to 12,000 years ago. Uh, prior to that, uh, Homo sapiens evolved out of Africa approximately 300,000 years ago. Um, and so, you know, it's a very small you know, amount of time compared to the long breadth of time that humans, homo sapien humans have been, you know, on this continent. Um, and so, yeah, patriarchy evolves, you know, out of that. Now, in terms of when, like, matriarchy and, and different cultures adapted those things, that came later. Um, I don't have an exact time frame on that, but um, I do know that's when patriarchy evolved. First became power over as a construct because prior to the agricultural revolution, uh, homo sapiens lived uh, power with. Uh, they were egalitarian in, in every way. Um, but after the agricultural revolution, they became sedentary, uh, began building, uh, you know, around building around farms and things like that. That's when patriarchy uh, began to evolve into human societies. So that about 10, 12,000 years ago. Now, great answer. And I'll just add a little context because I think I understand what Eric's coming from in asking that question because uh, we quite often see, and I'm pretty sure this is where what made him ask the question, because you quite often see us as African Americans trying to figure out and look back to the, in a sense, our time before enslavement as maybe an example of what we should be doing and that type of thing. And and Dr. Sanjata is exactly right. Once some once some of that was um, developed, then different cultures, based on their geography, based on how they had to survive, developed into different styles of societies. But he definitely, you know, the science definitely backs up the time frame that he's speaking of. And I'm just throwing out to you, Eric, that um, we've been kind of thought, we've been kind of pushed with our social construct of race. We've been pushed into a concept of looking back even at the motherland, if you will, from that same construct. And it's really an unfair thing to do because there's so many varied societies, even on the motherland, that was not reduced to simply race, as that was not a, a, a major concept prior to the enslavement trade. Uh, it was a factor, but not the way we see it today. So I just wanted to kind of throw that in there just to give you something to think about. Um, for this last step, and one thing I did want to get into before we even got into, got, yeah, we got a little time. One thing that we kind of left out today uh, or about to leave out before we get into the concept of, you know, how do you seek out professionals or seek out counsel? Again, something that's stigmatized in our community. But one thing that I did forget to talk about, and I wanted to hear both of your thoughts if you can make them brief, there is also an aspect within a family dynamic that I know and see hurt people quite often. I see people in social media pushing back against this, but I can definitely remember growing up in a sense in the South, uh, we, in a sense how we, at least how we saw families. And again, it's not only in the South, but this is just something that seems to be um, preeminent in my opinion in the South is this aspect of, uh, you know, people within your family might do things to harm you, but one of the, the band-aids that was quite often used was, but that's your family, but that's your family. And and, and, and people would say that from the standpoint of, if, if, as if, if this was not your family member, 
your emotion is warranted, your dismissiveness of this person is warranted, but but that's your family sometimes pushes you to mend the relationship. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. I've had it happen in my own family to the degree that I'm glad that I that it, that, that that was the recommendation. But people contend with that bloodline relationship sometimes where people even hang on to relationships too long in quote unquote toxic situations because of family. I don't think we it's fair to do this discussion and not at least mention that. So if I can get one thought from each of you, I'll start with you, Alisa. Um just one thought about that. I don't you know, that's probably a whole nother show, but I want to at least bring it up. Well, toxicity is toxicity no matter where it comes from. Um and, and where it happens. And as far as that's concerned, I'm a very family-oriented person. However, I do believe in boundaries, um, no matter who you're dealing with. And I can be, you know, my grandmother used to say, I can forgive you from across the street. And what she meant by that was I can forgive you but not embrace the toxic behaviors that you have and let them impact me. And, you know, I have family members that, um, and I think we all probably have family members that we, we've had these issues with, and there is that, that conundrum we kind of get in and deciding how we deal with that. And, and historically, to your point, you know, people saying, well, yeah, well, that's your cousin, that's your this, your that's your that. And um, I, I I definitely believe that you have the right to set boundaries no matter who it is, period. And sometimes those boundaries, unfortunately, end relationships. But I think it's the way that you set your boundaries that determines how that actually can turn out. And sometimes those relationships are just going to kind of go separately. And that's really unfortunate when that happens, but you owe it to yourself to be as whole and healthy as you possibly can be. And you, you give and, and you, you know, have flexibility and, and, and have love and empathy and compassion. However, no one should ever feel that they have to maintain a relationship that is going to to completely decimate them mentally and or physically, um, no matter who that is. And there is a sense of obligation that we do have sometimes for people from like a, even from a tribal perspective, you know, well, we have to respect our elders, we have to do this, we have to do that. I think that there are limits on that. And I think that people can can find the balance that makes the most sense for them. Um, I don't encourage cutting relationships off, but I also don't discourage it if it is extremely unhealthy and toxic for you either. All right, Dr. Sajada, I'm going to give you a flip, the flip side of it. Um, even sometimes, even family members can be manipulative to the extent that they, in a sense, expect forgiveness without necessarily, you know, doing the things that you typically would do to get forgiven in a, in a normal relationship. It's just they ride on the fact that we are blood, and so it's like they expect to be forgiven for bad behavior simply because we are blood. So any perspective about someone who's manipulative within the family um, that, 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 that sees it that way and how harmful that could be to, you know, to you if, if you have a family member who takes advantage of the family tie, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, very briefly, it goes back to, you know, boundaries and consent, just like Elisa said. So, you know, we live in a time where we've up upgraded our language and we were able to talk about these conversations in a different way and have language like boundaries and, and consent in ways that, you know, when I was growing up, people didn't speak this way. So, you know, that's, that's all I'll add to that. You know, you know, I encourage every, every, mm-hmm. literally everything that Elisa just said still applies. 
Nah, it makes sense. So the close is out, um, Dr. Sanjata. How do people reach you? But not, but even more so than that, the steps to getting people to seek it out with the stigma that seems to exist throughout society. But I'm willing to say, if there's anything, I would be willing to generalize. You know, again, there's history behind why we're a little more skeptical as yes. a culture to move into therapy and things of that nature. So there's factors to it. So I'm not trying to, you know, generalize in, in, incorrectly, but it is something that we're always talking about. How do we get, and, and the East generation is getting better, but we still could get further along. So, you know, how do we encourage, what's the steps in your opinion to get someone to seek someone like you out, which again, I think is a great step prior to counseling, because as I said before, with authentic dialogue, you might not even need counseling, but go ahead. Yeah, um, you know, well, first of all, people can reach out to me at growdialogue.com, G-R-O-W dialogue.com. Um, that's, and there's free resources, videos, and things that I've done that talks more about the things I've shared today, um, you know, as a starting point for people to just kind of get comfortable with it uh, before reaching out to me for more direct help. But um, in terms of the steps, I think that change is fractal. Um, I think that you know, as I look around to my peer group and I look around to, you know, my associates, I think that more people are open. More people of African descent uh, mm-hmm. are open to therapy. Um, I think that, you know, like you said, we know the history. However, the change is happening. And I would just, you know, say that every every conversation like this, um, you know, and it, it, it adds to it. So I just want to say that it is happening uh, and it will continue to happen because more and more of us are, you know, more comfortable and with seeking out that help, especially because there are more people of African descent who are the ones giving the help. So we are like a safe space, you know, for folks. Nice. Nice. Um, is, is it okay? Are you still doing the Thursdays? If we can highlight that for you as well. Are you still doing those? Just check. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, every Thursday at noon, I do a lunch and learn. Uh, it's called, it's titled No More Arguments, How to Resolve Conflict in a Peaceful Way. Uh, you can register for that uh, lunch and learn. Um, at, at my website, growdialogue.com, and just mention that you heard it uh, on the Mental Dialogue show and all the proceeds, whatever you choose to contribute for your gratitude for taking that class, is a pay what you can. Uh, those proceeds will go to the further development of the Mental Dialogue movement. So just mention Mental Dialogue, and those funds will go directly to Montoya and the community. All right. Thank you. You've been excellent. Alisa, uh, how can some people get your services? You are, again, you are an emotional intelligence coach amongst other things, but how, if they want to seek you out or, you know, typically who seeks you out, is it couples, is it individuals, is it organizations? Either way, explain that and tell them how to get in contact with you. People who look for me are typically people who have made a decision that they want to have a life on their own terms instead of a life that's been handed to them, um, whether it be through their coping strategies or, um you know, different things that they want to do, goals that they want to reach and obtain in their life. They've decided, you know, I want to do this the way that I'd like to do it that's better for me um, and in my relationship or whatever that is. Um, and, and my website is a word, A-W-O-R-D and A-N-D, awordandcompany.com. But a, a good way to kind of get to know me and get a feel for me and kind of get some thoughts around moving in that direction is check out my Instagram. I put inspirational stuff on there all the time. And it's not just about inspiration. It's literally about things to help you think, to help you think differently and consider different things. And that's I am, I am, Ms. Word, M-Z-W-O-R-D. 
you'll see videos, you'll see, um, you know, different different thoughts of the day on different topics, and that's a great way to kind of get you moving that direction, whether you work with me or work with somebody else, to, to start thinking about what it is you want and how you want that to be different and change in your life and how you want to grow. And I even make referrals to therapists when a person does need a therapist um, if they decide that, that that's best for them. So, you know, I'm not a person who's going to try to hold you to work with just me. I love it. Thank you both. Y'all were excellent. See y'all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think.